Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Arizona T-Backs podcast, Arizona's number one baseball and beverage-related podcast, where today I have finally summoned up the courage, pulled myself out of bed and out of my depressive episode to do the episode of the podcast that you guys have all been dreading. This is, of course, the D-Backs World Series post-mortem edition of the podcast. Um, I honestly can't be asked to think of a funny pun for this particular episode because it's going to be going to be a painful one to to record and relive all of these awful moments that the D-backs have put themselves through in the 2023 World Series against the Texas Rangers but you know that's the job we got to do it and since I'm still out in Phoenix I've got a nice cold cup of Arizona iced tea to go with me and help me keep my temper as we go through everything and fun fact, I'm actually recording this on Arizona Veterans Day and Veterans Day around the United States. So uh, happy Veterans Day to those of you who are in the U.S. and celebrate and um, happy Remembrance Sunday to all my people back in the U.K. who will be celebrating that tomorrow from the day I record this. But, you know, let's get right into the discussions. Arizona's first World Series appearance since... The um, yeah, obviously it did not go quite the same way as it has done the last few times the D-backs have been in the postseason. So today we're going to go through some of the key moments. Let's start, as all things must, with Game 1. And the first thing I'd like to talk about in Game 1 was kind of the mentality of the D-backs. The, the end result saw us losing it to an Adelis Garcia walk-off home run, and that, that's a, a big blow going through the 11th inning. You get you get to the 9th, uh, Paul Sewell blows it, and we have to just kind of go to our bullpen arms, whoever's really up there, and we, we, sli- we slip it up. But this was coming off of the fact that we, we had been leading 5-3 in, in the bottom of the ninth inning, and that that's, that's where our first slip-up happens, and it all goes kind of belly up from there. And that was a Corey Seager two-run homer in, in the ninth inning off of Miguel Castro. So the key thing I just want to point out is you can't give people like that the chance, you know? you got to have the mentality, if you're Miguel Castro, to go up there and say, I'm not going to give you something to hit. I'm not going to put it just kind of a cookie-cutter fastball right down the middle for for Corey Seager to go and hit, because he'll he'll go and he'll he'll hit it out of the park, and he very nearly did. So it was a big, driven home run to right field that did that, and then Adelise Garcia comes up in, in the 11th and, and does that, but it was kind of an underlying issue with the, with the D-backs in game one. Like, we got ourselves out and ahead, but we, we didn't really do anything with the bats after the fifth inning in game one. And everyone's saying, well, this is when your bats should start be starting to get hot. That's when the most errors happen. That's when you drive in the most runs. That's when you win games. And we didn't do that. We didn't we didn't register an RBI after the fifth. We didn't register a useful hit and, and until the fifth. And that was we didn't go from there. We didn't build on the fact that we'd got ourselves out into a lead. We kind of decided, you know, we'll sit on our laurels, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. It's Texas Rangers. Yeah, it's the goddamn Texas Rangers who have gone on to prove themselves the best team in baseball this year. We we gave them the chance to do it, and they they blew us away. 
like they they may focus on playing that big slugging baseball which is completely different to the way the D-backs have played this year we we like running we like RBIs but we we haven't had the confidence to play baseball our way in the postseason we've played kind of stereotypical postseason baseball relying on guys like Christian Walker and pr- pretending they can always slug to get us out of a jam and it's it's just not happened you, you if you're going to win games of baseball you need to do it playing baseball the way that we know we're good at playing and you know that's what we did in in game 2 it was kind of just the Merrill Kelly show in game two, he struck out nine batters in, in seven innings. You don't really need to break down the analysis there. And in, in game two, we kind of blew them away, and everyone thought, "Oh, yeah, we're back to normal. Uh, our heads are where they should be at with this." And you know that's exactly what happened. But you you can't just say, "Oh, we got one game, and that's enough. That's respectable." When you're in a situation where you've tied the series up, you're coming back to. Arizona, you should have some kind of home field advantage. It's the first time in years that Chase Field has had something to cheer on, had something to support, and you just expect expect the home field advantage to do the job for you. And that's that's the key thing that we had in, in Game 3. It was just a case of not taking chances and not capitalizing on those chances. Game 3, kind of, there's two things that I would like to point out as the key moments. The fact that the Rangers lost Max Scherzer early, and then they had to bring in Gray as their pitcher, who was supposed to be starting Game 4 for them, and instead he kind of played that through the middle of the game in Game 3. And he, he and this was up against Brandon Fart. And Brandon Fart, he's a, he's, a, he's a new guy still. We can't always trust him to to deliver, despite how good he looked against against the Phillies. We left pretty much our entire team on base that game I, t- I was I was live tweeting the game from from my bed in the in the middle of the night in England, and we kept leaving people on base. It was infuriating. And then you met you start making silly decisions, like you have Gabby Moreno sack bunt to get try and get Christian Walker around, and that ultimately ended up getting a set of easy outs. And, and that was a, it was a stupid out to make. Let just let Gabby Moreno hit. Let him do something. And I'm not entirely sure why Lavello told him to go out there and, and sack bunt when we had we had a man on second to move a man from second to third. You let you let Gabby Moreno hit. He'll more often than not probably get you that double to to bat in a run. But we could not drive in a run in game three. It was absurd the number of men we we left on base. I kind of three innings in. I tweeted stop leaving people on base. Four innings in, really stop leaving people on base. And it got ridiculous. We couldn't have we couldn't have put anybody else on base. Like I'm pretty sure we could have made trades for some of the best hitters in baseball and, and we'd have still somehow managed to leave them all on, on base one way or another. And the fact that we lost that game, despite the fact that the Rangers lost Max Scherzer early, like losing the starting pitcher should have been such a blow to them and we should have really made them feel the pressure in that moment and it just didn't do it just didn't do it it was impossible and then you get the kind of the the arm and shoulder injury for Adelise Garcia who's who's been their other talisman the guy who walked off game run and they lose their big hitting right fielder you gotta go you gotta go and get the game from them then like you can't just say oh you know it's it's all it's all at home they've lost two big players the, the win will come to us you have to go and get it this is the this is as big as baseball gets. You're in the World Series. 
you can't just hope that they'll give it to you because this this is this is a this is the Texas Rangers team who are pretty well stacked when it comes to kind of backup people, and we, we just let them do it. And then game four, I'm I'm furious about game four because game four we said, oh yeah, it'll be a bullpen day, it'll be fine. Our bullpen has delivered against the Phillies when it's come in and, and done done a job, like Andrew Solfrank, Kevin Ginkle, all, all impressive guys. But then when you have to think about how you're going to use them through nine innings instead of one or two, and then Ginkle does the eighth, and then Paul Seawald closes the ninth, that, that's been our, our, our rhythm. And instead we say, okay, we'll just throw people out kind of at random and see see what happens for the bullpen. And... I don't want to particularly pile on one player. I don't think that would be useful. I think it would be rather unfair of me to advocate for everybody piling onto one guy. But it's hard not to single out Miguel Castro from, from Game 4. Here's, here's a person who doesn't particularly inspire confidence. He, he comes in and you just kind of think, oh, really? They're the one we're starting with? There's... Why does our bullpen not face the same kind of scrutiny as a starting pitcher would? Uh, probably just as important when you consider, in the grand scheme of things, a game of baseball. We have good bullpen guys. We have the likes of Joe Manaply, who's Let's not forget, he was an all-star last year. And Sol Frank and Ginkle have been pretty reliable all year. But then you start to look at people like Ryan Nelson. You start to think of um, Kyle Henry, Miguel Castro what's going on here why is there this mental fragility that's you know in our bullpen when the first time they get called upon to have a really significant moment against kind of half a texas rangers lineup they're missing the talismanic adolis garcia and we're still scared to pitch them just you could be lobbing them balls you could be throwing batting practice fastballs and and that's that's what happened and that's what we did and I don't think that's all mental fragility. I think that's a lack of good decision-making. And that's not something you can always teach or correct with your trades and your signings and working on it in, in, in pre-season and, and, and in training sessions. If a pitcher isn't going to make the right decisions, the pitcher should not be playing in the major leagues. And I'm not quite sure why Miguel Castro is the guy we turn to in, in that situation. And I think realistically we need to be looking at acquiring at least a fourth starting pitcher so that we have we can avoid just leaving our bullpen to sort out a whole game for us we have to be going for a fourth starting pitcher of some sort or bringing somebody up who can be a fourth starting pitcher from from the prospects here but <sighs> then kind of game 5 it's it's hard to dissect game five. It, like everyone knows, that, okay, the Rangers can go and win it in game five, and it for, for the start of it, we looked like we probably weren't going to let them do that. Gallon pitched tremendously. The the milkman delivered, but he he didn't really get any support from the rest of the lineup. Like the age old adage goes that you don't say no hitter on the commentary or on social media or anything during a potential no-hitter. Gallon, Gallon was throwing a no-hitter into the seventh, and the moment somebody tweeted on it on over on X or Twitter, I think X 
sounds stupid, but anyway. The moment somebody tweeted that, Gallant, Gallant gives it up, gives away his first hit. And it all kind of falls apart from there. It gets gets pulled out, and the, the bullpen crumbles again. Uh, it was somewhat fitting that the MVP of the whole World Series, Corey Seager, was the one to kind of win the game and win the World Series for Texas. He's He's an incredible player, and I'm not going to take anything away from the Texas Rangers. They've had a great year and have played really well, but... You know, once again, our bullpen guys have not been able to stand up to some good hitters, and I don't quite understand how we've gone from Sol Frank, Ginkle, and Paul Sewald absolutely being able to blow away Carl Schwarber, Trey Turner, Bryson Stott, um, Nick Castellanos, JT Real Muto in the NLCS, and yet none of that confidence, none of that belief in themselves seems to translate into the World Series pitching. I'm not quite sure how how we've gotten to that point. And really, it's the same issue. It's this, this mental fragility or this mental unawareness of ourselves and actually how talented some of these players in the Diamondbacks organization are. Like, we may be a team that lost a hundred on something games two years ago. So were the Rangers. And they've come from the same position of us. They've built a good lineup around some solid veterans and some solid young talent. The exact same way we have. Like, Josh Young is a, a terrific player. And it's hard to draw comparisons between talented players like that. But they've they've traded a much similar path to the Diamondbacks, and yet they're the ones who've come away having won the Fall Classic, and we're the ones who are left thinking, well, I guess it's time to record the post-mortem podcast, you know? I'm sitting here looking at this saying, there there shouldn't have been as big a difference as it seemed like there was, and I'm not going to address the whole feedback about the World Series, this thing of having such a small fan base, small television viewership this year. In my, in, I mentioned it in the previous podcast. If the big teams deserved to be in the World Series this year, they would have been in the World Series this year. But the D-backs and the Rangers, it, it looked miles apart. Miles and miles apart. Like, the two games where the D-backs looked like they may have had a real shot are the games, and I, I say maybe three games, but two games specifically... It was game two and game and game five. Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen pitching, respectively. And Gallen, Gallen pitched an okay game in game one as well, but the these are our elite guys and they 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 did okay and yet somehow we forgot how to bat. We forgot how to run. And we've not we've not really been a slugging team all year. We we're not that kind of kind of thing. We're not playing 2018, 2019 baseball where it's Slug, 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 home run, triple, home run, triple, or nothing. We don't play that way. This is a team that's got the likes of Geraldo Perdomo and Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte. These are guys who hit well, but hit try and hit consistently, get on base, scare pitchers with your running, and get get to positions where ordinary, ordinary quote-unquote, players don't get to. And they're young, they're exciting, they're dynamic, and some people don't really know what to expect out of how they play. But 
pretty much the entire World Series, we didn't quite know how to expect. We didn't know how some players like Corbin Carroll would react. This is their first taste of kind of World Series baseball, postseason baseball. It's the same for Gabby Moreno. But then you've got to expect some more out of the main guys. You've got to expect more out of Christian Walker. I was so disappointed to see him not getting it and very much deserved his standing ovations for his golden glove and everything else. Standing, standing ovation with Christian Walker very much deserved for the servant to the to the team that he has been, and he's had a pretty good year. But he, you can't say, oh, he's had a great year, so we can excuse him having a poor series. You can't excuse a poor series in the World Series. If you're paying these guys big bucks, they need to be delivering big bucks when they get into the World Series. It's it's as good as baseball gets, and that that didn't happen. That just, just quite simply did not happen, which is tremendously disappointing when you think about how long it might be for the D-backs to reach the postseason again. There's, I'm sure, stats floating around of the odds of the D-backs reaching postseason baseball again this year, but I, I don't like the chances next year, and I'll, I'll be previewing kind of the off-season with all the trade rumors and then kind of doing a, a pre-season preview podcast at some point, but they didn't deliver this year, and I think they were afraid that they wouldn't deliver this year and got into their own heads about it because I think some players were very much aware that they would not be at the D-backs next year. The likes of Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Evan Longoria were not quite the spectacularly good batters we've seen from them throughout 2023. And with Goriel, I think he wants to stay and the D-backs want him to stay, but it's a case of working out the finances there. But Longoria, there very much was this sense of this was their last chance to win a ring. And they were aware of that. The, the crowd was obviously very much aware of that. And this is a tremendously talented baseball player, but they they all knew what was at stake and they crumbled under that pressure. And when you're playing baseball to the kind of level that we're facing with the Texas Rangers, all all of their guys seem to believe that they could come up to the plate and either force up one of our pitchers into a mistake or they could come up to the plate and get something, trusting that if they could get on first or second, the next guy behind them in the lineup would, would bat them in for a run. And that confidence and that domination of a game and a series is not something the D-backs had. And while our strength is as an underdog, if you're an underdog, you need to go down fighting. You've got to be scrappy. You've got to not play dirty, but you've got to use all the tricks in your playbook. And when you start trying to play like other people and comparing yourselves to other people, as an underdog, you're not. it's not going to be helpful. You're taking away your biggest strength. is your ability to be unpredictable, your ability to do the thing that you know you're good at and you've got to make the other team deal with whatever it is you're doing. And everyone loves a scrappy underdog, but when the viewership numbers are as low as, as they were for this World Series and you know that less people are watching because they've pretty much written off either team and they don't really care, it's not a case that you have nothing to lose because in this case what you have to lose is as a World Series that while it wasn't really ever yours to lose to begin with, you still have to go and win the games. And the D-backs didn't look like they wanted to go and win the games. They looked like they were there and a bit in awe of the occasion and 
when they did get going, it was spectacular, but it was only for one game. I don't, I don't think that game two was really a, a benchmarker at all for the way that the D-backs wanted to play baseball. They got, I think, incredibly lucky in game two, being able to score 11 runs. That That was great. I don't think it was because we were particularly excellent on that night. Game game two was the kind of the Merrill Kelly show. Merrill Kelly is the one who made the impact on on that Texas Rangers lineup, and they, they started making defensive mistakes, and they started thinking, oh, no, these D-backs are, are actually coming after us. And we went after them, and we went for the jugular, and we took it. But it's not because we were spectacularly good at hitting that day. We were just not as bad as we were for the rest of the series. But, you know, I think we've reached the time in the podcast where we actually can look at some of the positives and say, hey, it wasn't all doom and gloom. And looking at how we won games was great, but you have to look at what we're going to take from the fact that we have just lost a World Series. What what are the team going to learn from? And I don't think it's a learning point. We already knew Cattell Marte was, if not our best, but one of the best players in, in our lineup. And that 20-game that postseason streak is a record that I'm not sure will be broken for a little while, solely considering the players that did fail to hit in this in this World Series because they weren't in it, their teams weren't in it. Like, the Yankees weren't in the post, in the postseason at all this year. So you you can't look at any of any of their their guys to say okay yeah they they'll they'll extend their postseason hitting streak. Twenty games is is a tremendously impressive record, and we have to be really proud of Cattell for reaching that. But then you have to look at the rest of the team to to play that same way. And every time Cattell got on base, every time Cattell got it hit, he was kind of pointing to himself, pointing at his chest, saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm the guy." We didn't have another guy in this postseason. Cattell Marte looked like he wanted to drag that team kicking and screaming to, to a ring. And it took the D-backs way longer than it should have to realize that that was an example that they had to try and live up to. And I think they, they really overthought the way that they were batting. And I've already said I don't want to single anybody out, but Christian Walker looked like he could stand there and take fastballs and not swing at anything for the first three games of the series. And then the next two, he swung at everything regardless of whether or not it was remotely hittable or not and made almost no significant contact. I'm not quite clear on my stats, but I don't remember him registering a significant hit until game five, and even then didn't particularly make much of a difference. And the likes of Evan Longoria, I I I'm I want I'm wanna try and give him a pass because I don't think he was overawed by the occasion, but I think he was just in his own head about I'm Evan Longoria, right? I should have a World Series ring. I don't think he's he's gonna get another chance quite like this one in his career now. Given the fact that he's he's a free agent as of a couple of days ago, I'm not sure a team that's got a particularly huge shot at making the World Series is, is going to give him the kind of contract and money and reverence that he, he probably should have when you're considering a veteran of his magnitude. 
But when um, Emmanuel Rivera comes in and he's hitting better than Longoria at third base, you think, well, that probably means they weren't quite good enough. If if that's the bar that Longoria is setting and Rivera is seemingly playing better than them as, as a pinch hitter, I don't think Rivera is a bad player by any stretch of the imagination, but if you're signing Evan Longoria, you expect them to be better than Manny Rivera. And it was hard to draw a contrast between the two for most of the season. Longoria had a couple fantastic defensive plays, but their their hitting hasn't been spectacular. It's been pretty standard. And pretty standard is not going to cut it when you think about the level of baseball that you're playing at. You're playing baseball in November, I, I get that's not something that everyone is always used to doing, but you got to go out there and just play your game. And we didn't play our game. And Longoria didn't play his best game. And Christian Walker didn't slug the way we expect him to. He's he's our power guy. Like, Lord Asguriel Jr.'s got power in, in him, and so does Gabby Moreno, that, that ability to just really drive a ball. But Christian Walker is our main power threat. And he's coming up... Um, fourth and fourth in in the lineup, third or fourth in the rotation, and he he's not doing much. He's not slugging. He's not smacking. He's not slapping. He's just either watching three fastballs and taking them straight down the middle and not swinging at them when he gets a good one, or he's swinging at a slider that's four or five inches outside the strike zone, and. I think I think Max Scherzer specifically had Christian Walker absolutely nailed in terms of making him and tr- tricking him into swinging into these things, drawing those swings. And you know, Christian Walker at this point should know exactly what Max Scherzer is going to throw and when. This this is a, this is a former Diamondback who's got such a publicized record of how he throws and. We're just letting him throw what, what he wants. And I don't think a professional like that's going to be toying with anybody while playing a, a big series baseball game. But we didn't make Max Scherzer think twice about what he was throwing even before he came out of the game. And then when you compare the performances of kind of the closing pitches and the bullpens, it was such a different experience. Like we throw in Miguel Castro to throw fastballs, whereas... The Rangers can throw in a Roldis Garcia who can throw 100, 101, 102 and got up to 104 on a couple of pitches. And everyone knows that's the Aroldis Chapman experience, right? He's going to do that and you just got to do what you can. And especially in, in, in game three and game five, the likes of Corbin Carroll struggled to do anything with that. It's a hard pitch to hit, but you got to try something. But we just we just let him blow us away, and then Leclerc coming in as as a closer. He, that's an elite closer, and you compare him and the way he's played to the way Paul Sewald seemed to completely lose lose track of what was happening around him in in the game. And Paul Sewald got found out pretty quickly and got wrung out of the lineup pretty quickly, and Leclerc just looked perfectly suited to playing World Series baseball. The moment didn't phase him. He threw what he was coming there to throw, and it worked, and it came off. And I like Paul Seawold. I think the fact that we've got a, a running meme with Paul Seawold, he seems to get the importance of who he is and why he's here. 
and he he has the right attitude and after he came and he got he got absolutely destroyed when he when he has made mistakes he he owned up to it but owning up to it isn't going to rewind time bring the moment back and let you throw those pitches again you have you're responsible for having thrown those pitches and it, that shook his mentality quite a lot there's a difference between your mentality in an interview and then your mentality when after you've been blown away the way that he was at some points during the postseason, you come back up to the mound the next time. That's a that's a separate mindset. You need to be able to shut those thoughts out, especially if you're a veteran and you've pitched so many games in your career as a closer and a specialist closer, an elite closer that was brought into the Diamondbacks organization to do this. And then you don't do it. You, you let things get into your head and you just, you give... You give somebody like Adolis Garcia or Corey Seager something to hit, they're gonna hit they're gonna hit it and they're gonna hit it hard. And you will pay the price for that. And ultimately that's the resounding note that I think a lot of fans have taken from this postseason for the Diamondbacks is we gave the, the Texas Rangers something to work with and they worked with it. We made the mistakes, we they let us make the mistakes, and they they punished us for it. But you know that's that's baseball sometimes i guess i'm not going to be a poor loser about it um I'm, I'm still in a in a pretty big funk about about it but you know that's baseball you got to you got to roll with the punches and we got punched pretty hard that the the trick will be taking that positivity and rebuilding and having a good season next season and i think that's a pretty good spot to end it so once again i'd, I'd like to say thank you very much for watching like oh, listening Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Arizona T-Bex podcast with me, your host, Benji. You can find my socials at, at GB Diamondback over on Twitter slash X. And you can find the podcast on all major podcast platforms and over on Twitter slash X at T-Bex podcast. Thank you much for listening and I'll see you next time.